teaching series is based on um, seven sayings out of the book of John, where Jesus says, I am. And while that may not seem like a significant statement, when just for somebody to say, I am, um, to a Jewish person, that would mean a lot because the way that Jesus was talking, um, the word I am in the Bible uh, was a direct and indirect uh, relation to the name of God. And it comes out of the idea when Moses asked the Lord, when the Lord was telling Moses to go, he said, who will I say sent me? And he said, tell them I am sent you. And so in the Hebrew, it's something called a tetragrammaton. And it's a hybrid name for God. It means Yahweh. And so the Jews would never use this word I am in any kind of reference related to uh, virtually anything because they looked at it as um, uh, sacred and as holy. Yet you see Jesus, particularly in the Gospel of John, he uses I am like, like Skittles, right? He's just throwing them around. It doesn't matter to him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am the door. I am the gate. I'm the good shepherd. And so today we're going to talk about the where Jesus says, I am the vine. Anywhere he used this word, when he starts talking about himself in this way, it not only is a declaration of who he is, but it's also a revealing of who he is. And so anytime the Lord reveals himself in any form or fashion, we should pay attention to that because he's showing us a level of intimacy that's not available to any other portion of his creation except to his sons and daughters. So when God reopens, his, angels don't know him this way. No one can relate to him this way. So when the Lord opens up himself and says, listen, I want you to understand a part of me, we should pay attention to that. So next slide. The, the context of chapter 15 comes out of chapter 13 and chapter 14. So in other words, in order to understand the flow of what's happening here, we got to go back a couple of chapters and see what was begun in chapter 13. In chapter 13, they were having the Passover. They're having the last, Jesus was having his last meal with his disciples. The next day he was going to be crucified and he was going to give his life away. And so you see in chapter 13, Jesus is talking to them. He says, look, I'm leaving where I'm going. You can't go, but you will follow after me. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and all this stuff is going on in chapter 13 and in chapter Chapter 14, there's dinner conversation that's happening. And so that's kind of flowing into this. And Jesus, what Jesus is giving them is he's giving them uh, final instructions, final affirmations. He's giving them windows into things that up until this point, they maybe haven't understood. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus says, let us arise and go from here. Okay, so the flow of the story from Passover, when, when Jesus rose up from the last meal, he would eventually end up in the Garden of Gethsemane. There was a garden, a very ancient garden um, in and around Jerusalem that Jesus would spend a lot of time at in prayer. So he was going to leave the Passover dinner and they were going to make their way up to the Garden of Gethsemane where ultimately Judas and the guards would come and arrest him. But on his way to the garden, they were passing through a vineyard. Okay, so they're passing through an orchard or a vine, a, vine, a vineyard. And on their way through the vineyard, Jesus begins to instruct them. He begins to give them object lessons. What's interesting about this and what we need to know about this is that this culture would be very in tune with agriculture. All right, they were an agrarian culture. So they would understand things. Uh, they would understand what it looked like to plant and to harvest wheat. They would understand what barley looked like. They would understand how figs were grown. They would understand how grape was, grapes were grown and how wine was produced because it was a part of their everyday life. Uh, I, I share this story. I grew up in Michigan, so I grew up around cornfields. And while I never planted corn, 
particularly, I understood a lot about corn. I understood when they were planting it, when they were harvesting it. I understood there were different types of corn that they were planting. They were planting corn as feed. They were planting corn as produce. And, and so I understood that not because I grew corn, but because I was around it. And I understood the whole process and, and, and by being around it. So these guys would be understanding the things that probably you and I, have, we have to have this explained to us. But, so when Jesus was using this type of language, they would have understood it intuitively because it was part of their everyday life. So on his way to the garden, Jesus is stopping, if you can imagine this, as they're going through this orchard or this vineyard, excuse me, not an orchard, a vineyard. They're going through this vineyard. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the one who cares for the vine. He takes away any branch in me that does not give fruit. And any branch that does give fruit, he cuts it back so that it will give more fruit. He tells them, you are clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Get your life from me and I will live in you. No branch can give fruit of itself. Excuse me. It has to get life from the vine. You are able to give fruit only when you have life in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Get your life from me. Then, you will live, then I will live in you and you will give much fruit. Your life will be fruitful. Great things are going to happen to and through your life. And let's just say this. I can do nothing without Jesus. Because that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I am the source of all life. Jesus isn't the life giver. He is life itself. And so we have to understand that who Jesus is. He is the creator of the universe, but he's not just the creator of the universe. He is the life. He is life itself. He doesn't just impart life. The very nature of life is in him. He is life. And so all life comes from him, by him, and to him, and through him, and for him are all things. And by him all things consist, the Bible says. In him we live, move, and have our being. Everything, all life flows from Christ. So without Christ there is no life. And so Jesus is giving them a picture of what their relationship is going to be with him once he leaves. And he's saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm the source of all life. So what's the point? So let me show you this. All right, what we understand to be the vine of a grape, uh, of an orchard. So if we're going into a vineyard, we think that the vines are the things that are growing down the trellis. When in fact, the, the vine is the thing that's coming up out of the ground, right? So there's, what will happen is, is the tree will grow up into us, the, the vine will, or the, the, the grape thing, whatever, call it that. The grape thing, <laughs> the grape thing will grow up out of the ground and it will have a, a stalk on it and it'll go up out into a tea. So this part of the tree, it'll almost look like a little tree. And then off of this little tree will come all of these little vines or excuse me, branches. That's what the Bible would call them. And then the vine dresser would take the, 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 the branches and attach them to the trellis and show them which way to grow and all of this stuff. So that's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, I'm the source of life. We're the branches. The branch has no life in itself. The branch can only have life if it's connected to the vine. And then he tells that he goes on to share with us here that the purpose of our life, the purpose of the Christian's life and the purpose of created life itself, human, human, uh, the create the purpose of humanity and the purpose of our creation is not to find our purpose in ourselves. When we find our purpose in ourselves, it's empty. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, your purpose is to be draw life from me and your purpose is to bear fruit. And your purpose is not to come from yourself and your purpose is not to produce things in and of yourself. What we produce is from Christ. And so this idea of bearing fruit is a very common thing. If you've been in church at all or you've listened to any kind of teaching, I'm sure you've heard the, the, the statement, bear fruit. Anybody ever heard that? 
You're going to bear fruit. You've got to bear fruit. You've got to be fruitful. You've got to bear fruit. All this other stuff, right? And we act, and that's always my favorite thing, because I, maybe I grew up around this, is that people didn't, no one really knows what that means. What exactly does that mean? No, let's really ask the question, what does it mean to bear fruit? Jesus says, draw life from me and you will bear fruit. So what kind of fruit are we supposed to bear? Well, there's two different types of fruit in the scripture, right? We have this first thing it's called the fruit of the spirit. And so if we want to look at it this way, we draw our life from Christ and we're to create their fruit, abundance, um, great edible, shareable things are to grow within us. And then externally, we're to manifest. The word manifest simply means to make known. So externally, the believer is to make known fruit. So we're to, we're to bear fruit within us and we're to make known fruit outside of us. And this first thing is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit comes from Galatians chapter 5. And it's fruit or benefit that comes from life in the Spirit. And what is that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there's no law. So here's the point. You can't bear fruit or the fruit of the Spirit by yourself. This is the big point right here. So Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches. All life comes from me. You can't do anything without me. So if you're not connected to me, life is not going to flow. It will not be fruitful. Anybody who knows life without Christ or life as a believer where you're walking with him and drawing from him and then over here where you're kind of, you know, okay, Jesus, you stay over here. I'm going to go do my own thing. You notice that there's a huge difference between the two. And if you haven't experienced that difference yet, you will. <laughs> Because the fruit of the Spirit is impossible. When I first became a believer, I had a hard time walking with the Lord because I believed that the things that He was telling me to do were impossible for me to do. I couldn't do them. And until I understood that they actually are impossible for me to do and that I can't do them in myself, then all of a sudden I became free. I had a struggle, particularly when I was, uh, first started walking with him, that I couldn't discipline myself enough to do the things that he was asking me to do. And it was only when I began to understand that your ability to do these things, Kevin, comes only through drawing life from the Spirit. If you will not draw life from the Spirit, these things that I'm telling you to do or to make known can only, will never happen. I can't love in myself. I can't. And neither can you. You know what your love is? The Bible calls us this type of love a selfless, sacrificial love. It means a love that literally gives itself away and expects nothing in return. Or is giving itself away, not really caring about, it's just giving. It's a love that just constantly gives. Human love is self-oriented. Even when we love, it's what we want. We're, we're loving out of the motivation of what we're going to get back. Subconsciously. Me, myself, and I. That's human love. Human love is I give in order to receive. And then we'd be frustrated. I've loved you. Why aren't you loving me back? I've given to you. Why aren't you giving me back? What have you done for me lately? That's human love. We can't love to the, what God is saying to us to love. We can't love that way without the Holy Spirit. Okay? We can't have peace, which is flourishing. Or better yet, let's take an even better one. Patience. Let's try that. You ever tried patience without the Holy Spirit? You ever try to be patient? I don't care how patient you are. How patient you think you are. You're not that patient. You can't do it. When you have the Spirit of God, there's peace and there's patience, there's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. How about this one? This is my favorite. Let's try self-control. Huh? How do we get, how are we doing with that one? Okay, self-control without the Holy Spirit? Forget it, man. Forget it. That's why there, we have Facebook wars and Twitter wars and because that, that is an example of our complete and total lack of self-control. I mean, we just go off 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sending emails, blast Facebook, and then trying to take all that stuff back. But in the spirit, we're able to do that. So we have to draw that from the Holy Spirit. You have to realize, I'm about to lose it. I'm about to lose it. And you don't have, you know, we are Christian. You're not supposed to lose it. Well, I'm not feeling real Christian right now. So, you know, I need to back away. I need to begin to draw from the spirit, take a breather, take a break, and then approach it from that perspective. That's what it looks like. Or patience. You know, we draw from the spirit. Some of you need patience. You need, you're facing things that require a tremendous amount of patience. It's drawing that life from the spirit and going about it that way. So we're to bear the fruit of the spirit. We can only bear the fruit of the spirit by connecting and drawing from the vine. The second thing we're supposed to do is we're supposed to produce the reality of the kingdom. This is, again, often not taught and certainly not understood. What does that look like? So the Christian is supposed to first produce the fruit of the Spirit within us, and then we're supposed to produce the fruit of the Spirit externally. There's supposed to be something functioning and happening within our lives that produce the life of God or reflect the life of God to the world around us. And so what does that look like? Oh, here we go. Romans 14. The kingdom of God, the reflection, the making known of the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but it is in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what does this look like? We make the, whole, we make the kingdom of God known by the fruit of the Spirit. Righteousness is easily understood as doing what is right to God. If you want to look what righteousness is and you want to understand what righteousness is, it's the simple definition is whatever is right to God. Now we contrast that with what we think is right. And then we contrast that with what our culture thinks is right or what our government thinks is right or what our legal th system thinks is right. And we make laws and we say, this is right. It doesn't matter what human laws are made. Righteousness is not defined by human standards. Righteousness is defined by a holy God. And so we can call it right all day long. But if the righteousness of God says it's not right, who wins? The righteousness of God. And so when we remove ourselves from the righteousness of God, we receive the absence of his possession or the absence of his provision. So as our nation begins to declare things that are right, that are not under the righteousness of God, it is only a matter of time before you start seeing greater and greater and greater and greater erosions of the foundations now. Because now our government is saying, well, we determine what is right and wrong. They, our government is now the moral authority. So they determine what's right or wrong. Whereas now we no longer take to the Bible and say, this is where we draw our moral authority from. Our government is now saying, we're the moral authority. We determine what is right or wrong. Well, where does that end? Who, who, who you know, who murders wrong? Well, who says murders wrong? Who says? Well, I don't know. Well, we just, you're beginning, you're beginning now, you're beginning with yourself. Every, now we're defining the standards and now it becomes you just open up everything. Whereas when you begin with an abundant source and you begin with, an, with, a, with a, 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 a divine source, all of, the, all of our laws, essentially, when we founded our country, were drawn from the scripture. Now we've basically thrown that out the window and anything goes. We just make it, we're making it up as we go along, right? We can smoke weed. Well, it's witchcraft, according to the scripture. Well, it's legal. All right, so I'm going to somebody, I'm going to do, I could be doing bong hits while I teach you the Bible now, right? It's legal. It's legal. I've had Christians tell me that. It's legal now. Why can't I smoke pot? Because it is in the Bible. It is called witchcraft. It is pharmakia. It is the alteration of your subconscious state. 
That's why. So smoke weed and say that it's legal and think you're right, but you are not right before God. And you take that position and what you will receive is you will receive the absence because you're removing yourself from the covering of blessing of God. You're cutting yourself off from the vine. You're no longer drawing your life from the vine. Just saying. <laughs> he says every tree, every branch that is not bearing fruit, the father takes up. He lifts. So the father lifts the branch. This is what happens. Why is this important? Because a grapevine, next slide, what will happen is, is a grapevine, this is a, a diagram of grapevine. I didn't draw that, although it looks like something I would draw. But <laughs> stick people, woo, lines, what is that? I don't know, it looks good to me. What a grapevine will do by its nature, as the grapevine comes up out of the ground, the stalk or the stem or the vine is established and the branches begin to want to grow low. Okay? So this is what it looks like. You come to Christ. You're now in the vine. Your nature in and of yourself is to grow low. You want to return to the dirt. Okay? The dirt isn't really what's healthy for you, but that by nature is what you want to do. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, you come to Jesus, it's all happy, and then all of a sudden, you, you begin to grow low again. You're wanting to grow low. You're wanting to go right back to where you come. And what happens is, if the vine, if the branch is not lifted up by the vine dresser, the branch will never produce fruit. Not only will the branch never produce fruit, the branch will grow back into the dirt and will find its root in something else. And so what happens is, as people, believers, and the trellis, so the vine dresser has to attach it to a trellis. The directional growth of the vine, or excuse me, the branch, has to be determined. The, the branch cannot determine its direction. You understand? So when the branch is growing off of the vine, if the branch is left to itself, its determined direction is to go back into the dirt and find roots somewhere else. The vine dresser has to take the branch and say, no, 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 you're not going to grow. We're going to attach you to something, and this is the way you're going to grow. This is why church is important. People come to Christ, they're connected to the vine, and the trellis line is the church. The church is establishing you in a direction. The church is uniting you and holding you and supporting you and guiding you and helping you move forward. When believers don't connect themselves to church, they inadvertently always find themselves back in the dirt every single time. They not only find themselves back in the dirt, they find themselves getting rooted in something that's not right, that's not Christ and drawing their life from a root system. And all of a sudden we're over here and you're just like, well, I, you know, I was following the Lord, now I'm over here. And why am I back in this same relationship again? Why am I back doing the same things I am doing again? Because your natural tendency is to go back into the dirt and find your roots somewhere else. And so what happens is the Father wants to lift you from the dirt. And there are two types of Christians. There's the first Christian that will let the Father, they'll hear something like this, you need to commit and connect to a church. You need to commit and connect to a church. You're not the Lone Ranger. You need to be involved. You need to allow the Father to tie you to a trellis line. The vine doesn't want to be tied to a trellis line, so you know. The vine by itself wants to go back to the dirt and wants to do its own thing. But the Father says in order for the, in order for the branch to grow a fruit, it must be attached to a trellis line. It has to have a determined direction. And so what happens is, is the Christian hears a message like this, and some of them are like, yeah, Lord, attach me to the gospel. Attach me to the church. Let me grow in this trellis line. And then there's other Christians that go, no, I don't need that. I don't need church. I don't need, I don't need that. And people go, well, church is this and church is that. I always tell them, find, you live in the United States of America. You've got 57 flavors of church. Find the one that you can grow. Find the one that challenges you. Find the one that grows you. Find the one that elevates you. That's why we exist. If you're a part of this church, we welcome you here. 
But our purpose is to attach you to the trellis line and call you to grow and call you to bear fruit. I'm not here to tickle you, right? I like having fun, but it's not cotton candy and bubblegum machines. That's great. But will that produce fruit in our lives? Will that challenge us? The only way we grow is when we're challenged into arenas that we really don't like, okay? It's been said this, where there is no challenge, there is no change. We have to be challenged in order to change. And so the vine given itself will go find its way back to the dirt. We have to allow ourselves to be attached to the trellis line even when we don't want to. Even when we don't want to. Yeah, I was saying this first service. My, my natural tendency is, hey, let's sleep till two o'clock on Sunday. It's our day off. But that is not, yeah, you know, it's, that's not what is right to God. What is right to God and what is right for our growth is that we get our butts up out of bed, we come and honor him, we come and pour our hearts out from him, and we come and receive from him. And we let him do in us what we can't do for ourselves. The other type of Christian is the one that doesn't believe they need to be attached to a trellis line. They think that they're the Lone Rangers. I don't need Jesus. It's me, Jesus, in my Bible. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to go live any way that I want. Well, the Father works in their lives, too. And the way the Father works is because once you give yourself to Christ, the Holy Spirit enacts himself upon you. Because if you've truly given your life to Christ, you've given your life away. You've just transferred ownership. Not from you. You've transferred ownership because you don't own you. You will never own you. No matter how, and how much you think you own you, you never own you spiritually. You are owned by darkness or you are owned by light. And you're not in between either one. Even if you are owned by darkness and you're outside of Christ, you think you're your own. You think you own yourself. You're deceived, the Bible says. You're not owned by you. You never can be owned by you. Darkness or light owns you. When you come to Christ, you give your life to Jesus. You give your life away. He now takes ownership and begins to impart life into you. When you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to work, drawing you, connecting you, calling you. And then when the believer says, well, I'm in Christ, but I don't need these things, the Lord begins to challenge them. He begins to challenge them in three areas because his whole point is to get you out of the dirt. Isn't that good? Jesus loves us so much, he doesn't want to leave you in the dirt, right? And he does it, and what he'll do is he'll do something called a rebuke. What a rebuke is, is a verbal correction, right? So you're, going, you're starting to do, and it'll be, you'll hear like the Lord will be like, don't do that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't go there. Don't say that. You know, don't, that, don't. That's, a verbal, that's a verbal rebuke, okay? A verbal correction. If we don't listen to the verbal correct, if we don't listen to the verbal correction, he'll give us something that goes from rebuke to correction. Correction is an emotional change. Everything's not different. Everything's not the same, okay? So before... You would go and do specific things, be specific things, act certain ways, and you would feel something related to that. Now you're a Christian and you won't listen to the Lord's voice. Now all of a sudden you're with that guy, you're with that girl, you're in that place, you're doing those things, and it's just not the same. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? It's not the same. What's wrong with you, man? I don't know, man. I'm just not feeling this anymore because it's a correction. He's internally correcting you. He's pulling you away from the thing that you should not be bound to. And all of a sudden he was trying to change and show you within yourself to teach you because you won't listen. So now he's trying to teach you through experience that this is no life to you anymore. And then you get over here and you're like, wow, I feel so good. Now I'm back in church. I feel really connected. I feel really, really life. Yeah, okay. Then you go over here and you're like, wow, I don't feel the same. It's not the same because he's trying to teach you. 
so that you'll understand this isn't where you belong, this is where you belong, this isn't what you should be doing, this is what you should be doing. These aren't the people you should be associating with yourself with. I'm not saying not be friends with, but you know, what happens is, is we get around these friends. I used to have friends, I come to Christ, I was 19 years old, you know, we used to party, we used to do all this crazy stuff. I still party, I just party differently. But we used to drive around and just get wasted and do all kinds of really dumb things that I can't believe I did. And um, I, my friends picked me, I went up to see my, my father died. Okay, I'll just give you a story. You guys want a story? I'll give you a story. You just give a little window into my, into my life. Um, when my dad died, I flew up to see, um, my, I had to go up to my father's funeral. This was years ago. But um, my friends picked me up at the airport. And uh, <laughs> this is so bad. <laughs> they have a case of quarts, okay? You guys know what quarts are? We're not talking about a six pack of beer. We're talking about quart bottle beer, all right? And so they got a case of quarts, like 12, 12 big bottles of Court, court, okay? Colt 45, think, think like, you know, big cans of beer. And they're driving me around. They're like, hey, come on, man. Well, you know, your dad's here. You know, we're going to party. We're going to, you know, and I, I didn't want anything to do with it. And they couldn't believe that I didn't want anything to do with it because these guys I grew up with through school and everything, I grew up partying with these guys and hanging out and, you know, doing all kinds of dumb stuff with them. And they couldn't believe that I didn't want that. And my word to them was like, look, I can't, I can't go where you are. I can't go there, but you can come where I am. In other words, we can't party, but let's, I mean, I'm not going to go out and get just absolutely slammed with you, but we can go shoot pool, you know, we can go, we can go to the movies, we can do something that's not so riotous and not so degrading and not so life-taking, we can do something more life-giving, right? And so that's the difference. It wasn't the same for me anymore. I didn't want that. You understand? And so what God does is he'll give you a verbal correction or verbal rebuke to, to change you. And if we don't listen, then he goes into this idea. Then all of a sudden it's he will teach you trying to teach you through experience, sensory perception. You know, why is it when we were dating before I was a believer and you used to break the plates and yell and scream and do all the things that you do? Why was it before that it didn't really bother me? Why does it bother me now? He's showing you something. And if we don't listen to the correction, then he brings us into discipline. Discipline is when we reap the consequences of our choices. I don't recommend this one, but we all end up having to go there, right? So he's told us we don't listen. Now he's showing us through our hearts, we still don't listen. Now we reap the consequences of our rejection, right? It's called the passive judgment of God. There's the direct judgment of God and there's the passive judgment of God. The, the direct judgment of God is not in effect right now, in case you didn't know. The direct judgment, when Jesus returns, that's when we see the direct judgment of God. There is no direct judgment. What we experience now, because we're under grace, is we experience the indirect judgment of God, which what that is, is that is the consequences of his absence. You understand that? So we remove ourselves from him and we make choices in another direction. And by removing ourselves from him, we're removing ourselves from the sense the source of life. And so here's where Jesus would have you. And we don't want to listen and we want to go over here. Right. Well, the Lord's not the Lord's, although he's with you, he's not going to bless you over there. That's not how he's going to bless you. And you go, well, God's going to bless me here. No, he won't. If you're outside of what is right to him, he won't. And so what happens is, is what discipline is, is you begin to reap the consequences of your choices. All three of these things are to get you to get up out of the dirt. None of them are to bury you or none of them are to be against you. It's to get you out of the dirt. That's the point. So now all of a sudden, you know, you won't listen to him and now you're getting DUIs. You're reaping the consequences of poor choices. 
You're getting something itchy because you can't keep your pants on. Okay, you're, th this is the point. You're, this is all the stuff that's happening to you and you're now reaping the consequences of your, of your lack of listening to him. It has nothing to do with his love. It has nothing to do with why is he doing this to me? He's disciplining you because you won't listen. And so what will happen is, is that it's through, either through the word of God we return to him, it's through the correction of God that we return to him, or it's through the discipline of God that we return to him. That's the point. And the whole point is to get you up out of the dirt and to reconnect you to the trellis line, which I would argue is his church. The trellis line is his church. So that's the whole idea. Jesus wants to move you from fruitlessness to fruit to fruitfulness. So we have this whole idea. The first one deals with sin. Sin is all the nonsense in our life that causes us to not bear fruit. The second one deals with this idea of sanctification, which is pruning. He prunes you. Okay, so you're fruitful and he prunes you. It's the word katharos. It's where we get the word cathartic. Anybody ever heard that? Catharsis, cathartic. And what, what, it, what we interpret it in our culture is, is an emotional release. Whew. Feel so much better now. It's cathartic. Wow, I feel better now that that's over. It means cleansing of strong emotions. It means clarity. The Greeks, when the Greeks would use this word, it means when the drama is removed. So Jesus is pruning your life to bring clarity to you. Jesus is pruning your life to cleanse you from your strong emotions. Jesus is pruning your life to remove the drama. Okay? So what is he pruning? Why did he cut that relationship off? I don't understand. I liked him. I liked her. Snip. Cathartic. Okay. He's cleansing the drama. He's clarifying something to you. He's making it clear. He's trying to show you something. That's the point. He's pruning you so that you will respond to him by bearing more fruit. How does he prune us? Okay. He prunes us by revealing areas of weakness. So he shows us, this is what happens to the believer. Every single Christian in this room will experience this on one level or another. So what you need to know is that when pruning is happening to you, pruning may have nothing to do with sin. It just may have to do with God is now trying to develop you so that he can take you higher. What most believers do when Jesus starts pruning them is they run away. Okay? Because we create this image in the church where everybody's perfect. Nobody has any problems. Nobody has any issues. We create that. And then we create this, uh, this thing where we're not messy people. And so anytime somebody presents themselves as messy, we run away. That's why you go to churches and they're clean and sanitary and happy and everybody's there and everybody goes home and, you know, and nobody, how's it going? Bless God, brother, everything's great. His wife just left him, but bless God, brother. Everything's wonderful. Woo! Yeah. That message was great today, you know, because we're not being honest because the culture that we've created does not accept that we don't accept the struggle or the pruning that God will do in each other's lives. We have to accept the struggle and the pruning because we're all pruned. And how does he do it? He shows you areas of weakness. He shows you sinful attitudes. Kevin, you got a problem with keeping your mouth shut. You got a problem with showing up on time. You got a problem with hurting people's feelings. You're insensitive, whatever it may be, or you're too sensitive. You get hurt every time somebody opens their mouth. You know, what he does is he begins to reveal us attitudes that we have that are wrong, not to shame you, but to cause you to go back to the Lord and go, well, Lord, what do I do? I'm too sensitive. You need to help me with this. I need help. You know, or to draw us, Lord, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. The whole point of his correction is to push you back to the vine so that you can draw life back into that area. And so he'll show you. And what I get oftentimes when God's pruning someone or because that pruning has to take place. Everybody, for, oh, who are you to tell me that? Well, look, if I'm nobody to tell you that, but here's the problem. 
you're serving in ministry, you can't act that way. You know, you're serving in ministry, you need to show up. You're, you're serving, you know, this is what it looks like in the context of the church. And people, oh, I can't believe, oh, here, oh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Could it be that Jesus is pruning you? Could it be that Jesus is, you're saying, I want more of you, Lord. He's giving you the opportunity and he prunes you by exposing things in you and you won't listen. Could it be? He's not pruning you because he's trying to harm you. He's pruning you to expose more fruitfulness in your life, to take you higher. That's the point. But we run away. So when Jesus is revealing things in you, don't resist it. Let's go back to the Lord. I got no problems. You think you're screwed up? Just come talk to me. I'll, I'll I always take first place. My name is Kevin and I'm screwed up and I need Jesus every minute of every hour of every day. Okay? And people go, you don't know what's happening to me. You know what I say? You know what I could probably say to them? I've seen worse. <laughs> I've experienced worse. It's just, but the point is, is that what God is doing in you is for your good. Don't run from it. Run to him. Draw from him. Right? Then, he, then the second thing is that not only how he prunes us, he's not just revealing weakness. Some of you, you're in this place and he is calling you to deeper levels of commitment. He's calling you to deeper levels of obedience. He's telling you to sacrifice something or to give something up and to commit in a way that you won't commit. And we all like to stand off and we just like to do this over here. And then we don't understand that we're called to commit. People don't want to commit to churches, which again is the trellis line. I'm going to here to tell you, if you will not commit and connect to a church, you will never bear fruit of the gospel. You will never bear the life of Jesus. Every single thing he does is to and through the church. To him be glory through the church. He that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. We quote that verse. I've heard it quoted thousands of times. And I always tell him, quote the rest of it. To him be glory through the church. The one that does exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think does it through the church, does it through the, through the teaching of the church, the community of the church, the function of the church. Everything is through the church. It's the trellis line that keeps us out of the dirt. And so I get people going, oh, no, it's just me, Jesus, and your Bible. I talk to missionaries. I talk to people who do it. None, not one of their ministries is capable of existing without the church. None of them. None of them. Nor is the life of the believer capable of developing fully on its own without the line, the trellis line of the church. So as a Christian, you need to know one of your first and foremost responsibilities is to commit and to connect to the church. A church, a Jesus teaching church, a gospel teaching church, a truth filled church, a spirit oriented church. That's what you're called to do. And so he calls you to deeper levels of commitment. He prunes you and he prunes you in a way that inconveniences you. Oh, you know, you mean I got to give up more of my time? Snip. Yep. You mean I got to commit more? Snip. Yep. I don't want to. Well, then you won't bear fruit. You mean I got to sacrifice more? Yep. Then I won't do it. You mean I got to give more? Yep. Then I won't do it. Snip. I won't do it. You won't do it. You won't bear fruit. I'm just telling you, it doesn't happen any other way. If you want fruit and you want abundance, anytime Jesus is doing something in your life, it's good. If he's exposing a sinful attitude, rest assured, people, it's good. It's because what he has for you on the other side is amazing. But he's got to get you through this in order to give you this. When he calls you to levels of commitment and obedience, what he wants from you is something on the other side of that pain is something amazing. And the reason why Christians are unfruitful, the reason why we're unproductive, the reason why our relationships are dry, the reasons why we can't experience the fullness of the life of Christ is because we will not yield to the pruning of the vine dresser. We fight him. We get mad. Oh, I can't believe they told me this. I'm never going back to that church. Well, if they love you and they told you it out of love, you might want to reconsider that. 
If it's a loving atmosphere and it, these people love you, you might want to consider, reconsider your position on that. Just saying. The second thing he says here is John chapter 5, 15, 5. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who's in me and I in him, drawing life from him and Christ in us bears fruit. Without him, we can do nothing. But here's another thing. And this can't get any clearer. If anyone does not abide in me, you are cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're destroyed. What is he saying? He's saying people who will not give their lives to Christ are doomed. It, it can't get any clearer than that, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus is the source of life. Buddha is not the source of life. Allah is not the source of life. None of these things are the source of life. You yourself are not the source of life. Christ alone is the source of life. And for the person who refuses to give their life to Christ, the Bible tells them they're utterly doomed. He didn't blink. He didn't touch on everybody's emotions. He wasn't worried what people thought about what he said. He said it. And it's very clear and it's very direct. And so what's the point? We need to give our lives to Jesus. The unattached branch is doomed. What does that mean? They will experience lifelessness in this world and lifelessness in the, one, in the next. And I don't even need to get into the defining that. You can use your imagination as what that looks like. You say, I don't believe it. It has nothing to do with what you believe. It has nothing to do whether you believe that's true or not. It's true. Truth is truth whether we believe it or not, period. I don't believe it. I don't, be I don't believe that's true, as if we had that ability to define truth. Does anybody here think they have the ability to define truth? I don't, be I don't believe that's a chair. Well, dude, that's a chair whether you believe it's a chair or not, okay? You're bordering on delusional, but <laughs> that's a chair whether you believe it or not. So what does he say? He's saying, without me, you're lost. But then he says, listen, if you don't connect to me, you're doomed. But he says, if you will, what is he doing? He's opening up the option for those who are hearing him to connect with him. He says, listen, apart from me, you are completely lost. But if you will connect to me, you will be found. If you will connect to me, you will have life. So he's not utterly sentencing people without an option. He's saying, listen, I need you to be aware that you're lost without me. And I want you to be aware that I'm offering you an option to, to be found. I'm offering you an option to have life. And he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. For by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. What is he saying? The option is there. The second thing he's saying is stay connected. Anyone is capable of anything when they're not connected. Cut yourself off from church and just see where you are in six months. I... I I'm not telling you to do it, but I've done it <laughs> many moons and I've had that happen to me and anyone is capable of anything when they're not connected. I would never do that. Okay. Disconnect yourself. I would never do that. Well, disconnect yourself. Anyone is capable of anything when they're not connected. You'd be surprised where you'll find life. You'd be surprised how low in the dirt you can go if you disconnect yourself. You'd be surprised. So we're to stay connected and he talks about how we abide. Okay, we abide, number one, through his living presence. This is how the Christian abides. Jesus tells us to abide, and then he tells us how we abide. Number one is through his living presence, the Holy Spirit. Okay, we do atmosphere of worship when we're singing songs. This is why people lift their hands. This is why people are doing this. They're drawing life from his living presence. They're drawing life. This is why when we pray and I release, people draw because they're drawing from the living presence of God. That's the point. So we abide by drawing for his living presence. You can do this daily by being aware of Jesus. So I ask Christians all the time, are you aware of Jesus throughout your day? 
You know, is it just nine to five? You know, come up, go home, come up, go home. And we're, oh, I didn't even think about him today. You have to be aware of him. How we abide in him is how we are aware of him. And we draw from him throughout the day. I need patience. I need wisdom. Lord, I love you. Lord, I bless you. God, be with me. Give me wisdom. Whatever it looks like. But there's some interaction with him through his spirit. So we draw from him and we share our heart. He wants to know what you have to say. Okay? Anybody here that's married and you have a wife or you, you men, if you want to understand women, women want to know what you have to say. OK, she was I always tell men she was taken from the rib. Right. And that's exactly where she wants to go. She wants to get right up in there. Right. She wants to know everything. How was your day? What was good? What was bad? They wanted she wants to know. Correct me if I'm wrong, ladies. I mean, it really, I mean, you want to know it was tell me, tell me, I want to know. I want to know. Tell me. That's a nature that possesses, that, that, that the woman is given by the father because the father is that way. He wants to not only tell you and release to you, he wants to know of you. And so you can share your heart. I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm glad, I'm frustrated, I'm angry. He wants the communal interaction from you. He wants you to give him parts of yourself so that he can give you back what you need. Right. But the only way that he can give you what you need is when you make him aware. Lord, I'm really frustrated. I feel really lost. I feel really hopeless. I, you know, and you're whatever, whatever it may be. Lord, I just want to love you. I just want to thank you. I want to bless you. You know, he wants that interaction from you, whatever it is. So we abide in him by drawing life. Next slide. Last slide. The second one is through the word. He said, Jesus says, you abide in me through his living presence. And he says, you abide in me through the word. If my words abide in you. The word, what does that mean? It means obedience to the word. How do we get to that point? A, learn his Bible, people. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie, okay? Read the Bible. Learn his word. Start reading it. Read the New Testament. Just read it. Read it whether you understand it or not. Just put it in you. People go, I don't understand. I'm like, read it anyway. I don't know if it's going to work. Read it anyway. Read it anyway. The word is living and powerful. It's alive. So you're putting life in you through his word. Start in the New Testament. Read. Just go. Do whatever. So we learn his word, we read it, we study it. Very easy thing in modern America or modern world to study the Bible. It is easier than it has ever been. You can go on Bible Gateway, okay, website. You can get an app for it. Put it on your phone, your tablet, whatever. There's also you version, but I recommend Bible Gateway for this reason alone. You can look up a passage of the Bible, John 3:16 or John chapter 3 or whatever it is you're looking up. And as you're looking it up on Bible Gateway, up in the upper right-hand corner, there'll be a little button that says study it. And so you can just go click and then all these study options open up to you off of that passage. It can't be any easier. If you knew what I had to do when I was when I was not only in Bible school and all those stuff, it was, I called it the Fred Flintstone method. There'd be like 20 books on the table. So whatever it is that we were required to learn or required to understand or required to study, you had to find the book that's, that you could get that from. Now it's like a click and it's right there. It can't be any easier. You should study your Bible so you can learn his word. You read it, you study it and you give yourself to it. You begin to yield yourself into the things that the Bible is telling you to do. Commit it to memory. Memorize verses, memorize, memorize the scripture, put hide the word in your heart that you won't sin or miss sin against the Lord. Miss the things that he has for you. Another way you can do it, not just committing it, but talking about it. Talk about what, you, what you're learning. Go to Bible studies. Be a part of a Bible study. Be a part of a life group. Share what you're learning. Find some people that you can share what you're learning with and learn from other people as they're sharing with you what they're learning. Abiding in his word, drawing life from his word. Pray it. We pray the scripture. The scripture can be turned into prayers. You can take something that God said and turn it into a prayer and pray it back to him. Try it out. 
God so loved me. Lord, I thank you that you so loved me, that you gave your son for me. God, thank you so much that you've given your son for me, that I would not perish, but I, have, that I would have life. Father, thank you so much that you love me, that you wouldn't let me perish. Thank you so much, Lord, that you've come to give me life. Lord, I receive life today. Give me the fullness of life today. See, it's easy, right? Pick a verse, any verse. <laughs> the commands force us back to the vine. Do what the Bible says. Here's a point. This is important. Last two things, and we're going to take communion. Okay? We're dismissed. The commands that God, the things that God tells you to do are to force you back to the vine. Okay? So when the Bible tells you something like, love your enemies, okay? You can't do it. So I tell people, you can't do oh, I can love my enemies. Then you really don't have any enemies, okay? Because anybody knows what you want to do to your enemies. I mean, you're in visions of what you want to do to your enemies. So when the Bible tells you to love your enemies and do good to those that do evil to you, you can't do that in yourself. You have to go back to the vine, back to Christ, and draw that ability from him. Let's put it practically. Wives, submit, respect, honor, esteem your husband. Ladies, once you've been married for a period of time, that does not come very easy to you. You're going to have to go back to the vine. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Once you've been married for any period of time, that does not come easy to you. You have to draw from the vine in order to give her the love that she needs and is required to do. This is how it works. So the things that God tells us to do are not for us to solve. They're to force us back to the vine and draw the life from there and live, live from that. So we, we draw our life from the vine. And then he says, and if you will let the word abide in you, you'll live in me, draw from my living presence, let the word abide in me, you will ask what you will and it will be given. That's a pretty bold statement. Would you not agree? We look at that and we think it's poetic. Oh, if I abide in him, then I can ask whatever I will. What nice little poetry. He means it. It's the word ethelo. The Greek word is ethelo. And what it means when he says, ask what you will, he says, ask according to my best offer. That's what he says. So what does it look like? Looks like this. I'm abiding in his spirit. I'm in his spirit. I'm meditating. I'm worshiping. I'm in just communing with the Lord. I'm in prayer. I'm hearing him. And the Lord puts something on my heart. He lays something on my heart. What is he saying? Ask me according to that. Ask me according to the offer I just put on your heart. That's what he says. Then he says, when I'm reading, when my word abide in you, when you're reading his Bible, when you're reading his Bible and you see that God did something for someone, he'll see, are you any different than them? And so God will show you something that he's doing in someone's life as you're reading or give you a promise or something. And he'll show you something and he'll present it to you and he'll lay it upon your heart while you're reading. And what is he saying? He's saying, I want you to ask me according to the best offer I've just given you. This is what it looks like to pray in agreement with God. And it comes through abiding in the vine through the spirit and abiding in the, in the vine through the word of God. And so we draw this. And so you're reading your Bible and you see that God gave a great victory for someone. You're like, wow, I need that victory. And then, the Lord, and then I go, Lord, I want the victory that you gave them. I want this type of victory. Lord, wow, you really blessed them or you really did this. Or God, you said that you would supply all my needs. And, and the Lord is just putting it on your heart. I want you to ask me to supply your needs. What is he saying? Ask me according to my best offer. Ask me according to what I just put on your heart. Right? Certain things within yourselves, dreams, hopes, visions, desires. It's the whole word desire. Okay, share my story again. My mom's family raised horses, thoroughbred horses, okay? So I grew up until I was about fifth or sixth grade around thoroughbred horses. I grew up with men in really funky looking jackets that walked around drinking highballs. 
you know what a highball is? <laughs> Jen and Tom Collins. And so everybody wore these, and I have pictures I could show you. I've shown them a couple times. And, you know, and they, all, they would all go to the races and, you know, my uncle's stables and all this stuff. And then everybody would walk around and afterwards and they'd all be drinking gin and Tom Collins and talking very profoundly, I suppose. But I, you learn a lot from horses, okay? I learned a lot from horses. I learned some things God has related back to me from just experiences I had when I was a kid growing up. One of the things is the word sire. This word desire means to sire. Well, a horse is a sire. A male horse is a sire. When a horse wins a lot of races, it becomes a sire. In other words, okay, that's why it's called a stud, right? It's a stud. All of the other horse owners, female horse owners, pay money for their horse to be with the stud. Or they pay money for their, for their horse to be with, you can laugh, it's okay. But they, you know, some of you women are trying to go, I'm not going to laugh at stud, I'm not going to laugh at it. It's okay. But they pay money for their horse to be with the sire, okay? And so what happens is, is that the sire puts something in the female horse, right? He desires her and she gives birth to something. So the point is, is we ask according to the desire of the spirit. That when you get in the spirit and you get in the word, the Lord is siring something in you. This is the, what the language that the scripture is speaking. He's siring a desire in you. He's siring something inside of you. He's showing you something. And what he wants you to do is ask him according to what he's putting in your heart. That's what it looks like. I dare you. <laughs> but it comes through abiding. It comes through abiding. Life as a believer comes from drawing that life from Christ. Life as a believer comes from drawing it from his spirit and drawing it from his word. And we completely shortchange ourselves when we don't do that. We think that it's all up to us and it's not. It's up to him. Right?